Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. Today, Dr. Newfeld will be continuing his series on Romans, The Heart of the Gospel, sharing with us the power and impact the gospel can have on each one of us. Open your Bibles to Romans 1, verses 16 to 17, and let's join Dr. Newfeld and go back to the Bible. Let's begin by reading our Bible text today, and as we do that, let's remember that what we're reading is the theme of the book of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I want you to imagine that we're in a conversation, and during that conversation, I mention how proud I am of my wife. You'd probably ask me why, and I'd give you a whole host of reasons. I think her to be a remarkable woman, and by the way, I really do think that. But there's nothing unusual about that, is there? A lot of men, especially those who love their wives, will talk about their wives in exactly that way. But now imagine we're having the same conversation, but this time I state my regard for my wife the other way around. I say, I'm not ashamed of my wife. Ah, I suspect your next comment would be somewhat different. You probably wouldn't ask, why are you so proud of her? Instead, you would say, especially if you're given to being overly blunt, you would do this. Why, what's wrong with her? Or if you were more tactful, you might say, well, have you ever struggled with that in the past? Or is there a reason why you might be ashamed? I mean, putting things in the negative, the way Paul does in relation to the gospel, immediately raises our eyebrows. Why doesn't Paul just say, I'm proud of the gospel? I know that some Bible teachers claim that Paul could never have been tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, and so they will say that Paul is using what grammarians call a litotes. That is a negative statement to say something positive, like, for instance, when the Queen of England says, we are not amused, It's not that she was tempted to be amused. She is, in fact, saying that she's upset in some fashion. That's called a litotes. And so these Bible teachers say this is just an expressive way of Paul declaring that he is, in fact, proud of the gospel. Well, perhaps, but Jesus himself warned us about being ashamed of the gospel. Remember Mark 8, 38? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Now, it's clear that Jesus knew that it would always be a temptation for his followers to be ashamed of the gospel. So it shouldn't surprise us that Paul himself fought with this temptation and won the battle. But if it's true that the gospel is glorious, and if it is, as he says, it's the power of God for the salvation to all who believe, why would anyone be ashamed of that? Well, in Mark 8, Jesus clearly indicated why this was. He was just telling his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, that he would suffer there, that he'd be put to death, and that he would rise from the dead. And the disciples are appalled at this. And Peter even began to rebuke Jesus for saying this. And then, as you'll remember, by the end of that chapter, Jesus not only rebukes Peter right back, those incredibly harsh words, get behind me, Satan, but he also informs all of his disciples that following him was very likely to cost them their lives. And in the heat of that struggle, he warns them, don't you be ashamed of me. And for Paul, just like the 12, the gospel had cost him dearly. 
He had lost his stature in Judaism. He'd been slandered and persecuted in the Roman world. He had been harshly criticized even by some Christians. And when he wrote to the Corinthians, he admits that among the world's elite, the message of the gospel struck them as foolishness. Given that Paul was a very well-educated and highly intelligent man, the temptation to seem intelligent among the intelligentsia, well, that must have been tempting. Just play down the gospel a bit. But he refuses. He will not be ashamed of the gospel, even though some people will think him to be a simpleton or a foolish man. Let's stop and make application. First, imagine the people receiving this letter, the church in Rome. Rome breathed out confidence and power. The Roman army controlled most of the Western world. Roman architecture and technology set the standard for human achievement. Soon the Roman language, Latin, would replace Greek as the world language. Roman government set the stage for world governance. What was the gospel next to that? And what it did sound like for Christians to go around saying that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. This guy, the guy that was crucified, has actually more authority than Caesar has in this world. It sounds like foolishness. And so they, as we can well imagine, might have had the temptation to tone down the strong gospel language. And in the eyes of Jesus, that was the same as being ashamed of him and of his gospel. I hope we're listening. I happen to think that Canadian Christians are intimidated by our culture. We are as a whole. Even though we have laws that govern the free practice of our faith, we tend to, as a whole, tone down our proclamation of Christ. I'll give you some examples. I have a very dear friend of mine who's now a retired school teacher. He often instructed fellow Christian teachers how to make their faith known in the classroom without violating any school policy. Yes, you want to be wise and you want to be sensitive and respectful of others. But my buddy was good at this. A number of his students had come to faith in Christ. He had learned the secret of being both winsome and wise at the same time. Good on him. I'm actually proud of him. But a number of other Christian teachers just couldn't imagine ever coming out of the closet. Instead, they preferred to remain silent. That way, there would be no trouble. Now, please don't think I'm picking on school teachers. I understand some of your struggles. The same can be said about Christians in business, in the media, in politics, or on the job site across our land. I remember once having a conversation with a Christian businessman who told me that he had made it a rule among his employees that they were not permitted to speak about religion at work. And then he told me, how do I do that now? How do I share my faith with my employees? And I asked him, why in the world would you make a rule like the one you made? And he said, I can't remember. Was he ashamed of the gospel? Now here Paul is saying, I've been tempted to do that too, but I've come out on the other side. I am definitely not ashamed of the gospel. And notice that Paul begins in verse 16 with a word for. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, or therefore, on the basis of what I've said before this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So when we go back, back to verse 15, there Paul said that he was eager to preach the gospel in Rome. He's like a racehorse straining at the reins, waiting for the gate to fall and so run with all his might. He's winnowing and bumping into the stanchions and straining his muscles, can't wait to get at it. Paul is saying, in spite of how scary Rome can be, you have no idea how eager I am to preach the gospel there. And we might ask, why aren't you intimidated at all? And he answers, I actually have three reasons. Here's reason number one. Paul is not ashamed because he knows the power of the gospel. 
Notice again the first part of verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for or because, or for this reason I have overcome my fear, because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Before we deal with the faith part or the everyone who believes part, please notice that the gospel has the power to save. So here we get one of our first definition of the gospel in the book of Romans. What is the gospel? No, it's not that we should follow Jesus. Should we follow Jesus? Yes. Are we commanded to follow Jesus? Yes, we are. Is that the gospel? No, the gospel is the power to save. That's the good news. I know that most of us will say that this means that God will save us from our sins when we believe. And of course, that's exactly right. But let's not pass over this so quickly. For instance, in Romans 8.24, we read, In this hope we were saved. From that verse, it's clear that Paul thinks our salvation has already occurred. And yet, in Romans 10, verse 9, we read that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So it's clear that in Romans 10, Paul thinks of our salvation as something that is yet going to occur in the future. But in Romans chapter 8, it's something that's already happened in the past. So how does that work? How is it that both of these things are true at the same time? That we will be saved as if we aren't yet, and that we have been saved. That is, it's an event that's already occurred in the past. Well, for instance, in just two verses from the one that we're studying, Paul will tell us that the wrath of God is already being revealed from heaven. Right now, God is giving people over to their sins. But when he says so, he does not cancel out the fact that there is an ultimate day of wrath. There is one today, and there is one yet to come. Both are true at the same time. Something is happening in the present. Something's going to happen in the future. And the same is true of our salvation. In some ways, everything about our salvation is already done. It's finished. It's complete. And in some ways, we're still awaiting for something grand and glorious in the future. So when we come back, we're going to see how both of those are true. Please make sure that you're here after the break. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've seen what it can do. I've personally experienced its power and seen how it can work in the hearts and lives of people I know. As Jesus followers, we're called to be loud and radical about our beliefs. And let's get ready to see what Dr. Neufeld has to share with us about salvation and what true salvation really looks like. Thanks so much for listening today. Have you been enjoying Dr. Neufeld's series on Romans, The Heart of the Gospel? If so, it's available to purchase. Perhaps you'd like to add this series to your home collection or even give it to a friend. To order your copy of this five-week series for only $20 plus shipping and handling, visit us online at backtothebible.ca or give us a call today at 1-800-663-2425. I hope this series continues to challenge and encourage you in the weeks to come. Now let's rejoin Dr. John Neufeld for more from Back to the Bible. I've just come back from a ministry trip in Germany, and there I was teaching a class on the book of Galatians. I asked my students if God punishes Christians for their sins. One student immediately responded, yes, and I must say I scared that poor student half to death. As loud as I could, I slapped my hand on my desk, making a thunderous bang. 
in which every student looked up and then I marched across the class, was now right up to my dear helpless student, looked him square in the eye and said, then you tell this class why Christ died. If he didn't take all of our punishment and you still have to bear some of it yourself, tell this class what the cross actually accomplished. I kind of think my poor student was going to remember that little incident and that outburst for a long time. But that's the point. To be saved is to be saved from the anger of God, and now from the wrath that is right now being revealed. As God shows his displeasure with human sins today, all those who are covered by his blood, who are saved by the gospel, have seen the wrath of God pass over them, much like the Israelites of the Old Testament saw the angel of death pass over them. That doesn't mean that there isn't a final judgment, a time when the entire human race must give an account, when there stands before the human race the awful realization of the consequences of sin. To be saved means that the eternal judgment for your sin and my sin has also passed away. There can be nothing greater than to be saved from judgment, wrath, damnation, sin, hell. So salvation is both present and its future. Now that we get that, we notice who is saved. And this is the miraculous part of this message. All who believe are saved. Please notice how radical that is. Not all those whose good deeds outweigh their bad are saved. By the way, Islam teaches that. Islam teaches that Allah holds the scales in his hands. You know those old scales with a center post and then a cross beam with two trays hanging down? And if your good deed outweigh your bad deeds, you're fine, so they say. But no, that's not what the gospel says. Furthermore, notice also that the gospel is not promised to those who have done something to earn it. It's not the privileged who are saved or the less privileged who are saved, not the deserving or the undeserving. No, please hear this foundational truth. Regardless of which other group you're in, the male-female group, which racial group you belong to, Jew and Greek was in the Bible, the moral or the immoral, the beautiful or the ugly, the self-satisfied or the self-condemning. I mean, you name the group. It doesn't matter. The only one thing that matters is this. All who believe are saved. Do you want hope? Do you believe your sins disqualify you? Well, if you do, hear me. All who believe are saved. And that's the power of the gospel. And Paul says, I've seen that and has taken away all of my shame. And instead, I've become proud of the gospel. Now then, here's the second reason he's not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is not ashamed because of the content of the gospel. Romans 1.17a reads, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but think about how radical that is. At first, we might be surprised by that statement. We would think, Paul, shouldn't you have said the gospel makes known the mercy of God, or the love of God, or the kindness of God, or something like that? I mean, that's how most of us would have written this verse. Instead, he says, the gospel makes known the righteousness of God. So whenever we're surprised by what we read, we should stop and try as best as we can to understand that. Now, we should notice that the righteousness of God is an attribute or a quality of God. For instance, Psalm 45, verse 6 says of God, the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness or of righteousness. And then to explain that statement, the psalmist says of God, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. 
So to say that God is righteous is to say that he hates evil and loves the good. The righteous God does what's right all the time. God never sins. He never makes moral compromises. God only does what is right. Now, for us who are sinners, that might be terrifying. It means we can't make special deals with God. You can't bribe God. You can't scheme your way into his good books. You can't make a one-off special backroom deal with him because God is motivated in his decisions by his righteousness. So how can the declaration of God's righteousness be the gospel or the good news? How can the declaration of the righteousness of God be welcomed by any sinner? But, of course, the Bible has a lot more to say about God's righteousness. In Isaiah 46, verse 13, God says, I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. So in that passage, it's clear that if God promises to deliver or to save his people, he's going to do it. It would be unrighteous to promise something and then not make good on his promises. Imagine promising to pay off someone's mortgage, for instance. The person then counts on it, and then you renege on that promise. That's wrong. Unrighteous people make promises they don't keep, but God never does that. So if he promises to forgive, he in fact will. But that still doesn't answer the question of how a righteous God can make promises to save sinful people at all. If he's righteous, how can he make such promises in the first place? And here we go back to Romans 1.17, when Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, it's clear from the rest of this book that what Paul has in mind is a righteousness from God that is given to us in the gospel. What Paul means is this, God confers a righteous status onto a sinful man or woman who simply believes. In the gospel, God has found a way to declare unrighteous, sin-loving, hell-deserving, God-hating sinners. Listen, he has found a way to declare them, that's you and I, righteous. In other words, a righteousness from God has been declared over the lives of all who believe. God has found a way to call them righteous. But notice, it's not their righteousness, it's God's righteousness. Theologians call this alien righteousness, meaning it doesn't arise out of you or I. It's not a reflection of what we have done, it's a reflection of what God has done. It is a legal status conferred upon us by God. Here's the good news. God has found a way to declare you righteous. Now we're getting the heart of the gospel. If you believe, if you believe the gospel, if you believe that Christ died for you, and if you respond in genuine faith, God regards you as a righteous man or a righteous woman or righteous boy or a girl, and that's profound. God looks at you as if you'd never done anything wrong ever. God looks at you as having merited salvation. Of course, you didn't. Christ did it on your behalf. But how can that be so? How can what Christ did be credited to our account? Well, that's what Paul's going to answer in this most amazing book. But for now, Paul simply says this is from faith for faith. Now, most likely what Paul means is that this righteousness comes by faith from first to last. There's no other way of getting this thing. It comes in the only one way possible. It comes by faith. So that's why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God, and he's not ashamed because of the content of the gospel, which is a display of the wisdom of God. Who else could have thought of such a thing? But then there comes a third reason Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. 
Paul is not ashamed because of the promise of the gospel. The last part of verse 17 reads simply this, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Because that's an Old Testament prophecy, another way of saying it is this, the righteous will survive the day of judgment and of wrath and the most horrible things to come in the future. They're going to survive by faith and by faith alone. That's assurance, that brings hope, that's power. And Paul says, once you've grasped that, and once I grasp that, I was not ashamed of the gospel, and I suspect that once we grasp it as well, we will not be either. John, thanks so much for today's message, but I got to tell you, it was a little bit personally convicting. The whole idea of not being ashamed of the gospel, that sense of wanting to go out and, and boldly proclaim who Jesus is and, and speak to him and speak for him, it escapes me sometimes, and sometimes I'm fearful of it. Uh, how do I deal with that? Ben, thanks for your honesty about that, and I want to be honest as well and say, you're not the only one that feels that way. I do as well, and I think that probably most of our listeners do. I have begun to commit something to the Lord, that when I'm in places where one normally doesn't speak about God, that I'm going to start. Just little things. In fact, uh, it's easy to purchase something at a, at a store somewhere and then say to the cashier, God bless you. Or uh, even to say to somebody that one's working with when one, you know, perhaps somebody shares with us they've got a difficulty they're going through and simply looking concerned, say, can I pray with you right now? Uh, that kind of thing will really transform an environment, and I think it will open up a possibility for the gospel where we've wondered how to bring it in. Yeah, I think that's true. And the whole idea of being confident in the gospel, well, it's got to start by reading the Word of God. That's where our confidence comes from, from the Word of God. Thanks so much, John, and we look forward to what else you have to uh, share with us in the week to come. I think we live in a world today where the gospel itself doesn't seem convenient for many people because it's outside of our comfort zone. Many people don't want to live radical lives for Jesus. They want to live buried in their possessions and measuring their success in that regard. People like this want to make a deal with God. They want everything to fall in their favor on their terms. But God doesn't work this way and neither does the gospel. To receive salvation, we are called to believe on his terms, not our own. I hope you'll join us tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld teaches us on why we're even in need of a Savior. That's right here tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada. This will be a vacation you won't soon forget. This March 22nd to the 29th, join us for the second annual Back to the Bible Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise. Whether you're married, single, or wanting to plan a getaway with family or friends, this will be a trip for you. Be prepared to be encouraged, inspired, and spiritually refreshed in your walk with Jesus. Join myself, Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, gifted musical guests Jay Calder and Amanda Stott, and others. This will be Dr. Newfeld's first ministry event with us, so it will be sure to be a memorable one. Registration is limited, so visit backtothebible.ca today or give us a call right now at 1-800-663-2425. And remember, the cost of all vacation events are paid by the participants. And don't forget, for the month of February, we want to send you as our gift Dr. Newfeld's series on Philemon, an alternative lifestyle. 
You can contact us today at 1-800-663-2425, and we'll send that to you. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day.